Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is March 10th, 2014, and this is episode 68. Now, if you're listening to my voice, you're probably listening to us at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com, but it's also likely that you found us at the baltimoresportsreport.com slash network, where you can hear this and other great Baltimore sports themed shows. You can find our show on iTunes, on Miro, on Stitcher, on Double Twist, and a bunch of other places that Scott likes to make up. Now you can find us on many social media outlooks, including Facebook.com slash BEVcast at uh, Google Plus, but nobody's using that, and on Twitter at Bird's Eye View B A L. In case I forgot to mention, my name is Jake English, and sitting directly across from me and in one of your earbuds is Scott Magnus. Hello, Baltimore. How are you doing tonight? <laughs> now, one of the two important parts of the early show that we want to make you aware of, the first is that you can do yourself and us a favor by going to our website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com, and clicking through a link on our site to amazon.com where you can buy anything you want. And st- Scott, I'm going to stop you. They don't need inappropriate suggestions. But if there's something out there that you want to purchase, do it through uh, birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Use the Amazon link, and uh, it helps you. It helps us. We, we greatly appreciate it. And if you need inappropriate suggestions, contact us at birdseyeviewbal at gmail.com. That's birdseyeviewbal at gmail.com. And, and you, this is a service you provide to just provide? Uh, um, free service, yeah. I'm doing it pro bono. I like to do a few other things pro bono, but... You just wanted to find a way to say Bono, didn't I you? I did. All right, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. I think that that is the perfect segue then for your and my favorite part of the program, which is? The drink of the week. All right, Scotty, what is it that you are drinking this week? I'm going to be drinking a Loose Cannon IPA from Happy Seas. Okay, okay. I myself am drinking a tall glass of water because... I know we, you are. <laughs> because I know you're of, drinking me. One of us has to be at least a high-functioning alcoholic this evening. But Scott... I have a thought. Okay. I want to bring something back that we tried last season, and that is to perfect the perfect drink when it comes to watching baseball for the Baltimore Orioles. And a lot of people go in the Orange Crush area, and that's that's all good and yeah. fine. But we really need to come up with that signature Baltimore Orioles drink that we know as the drunk Gary Thorne. Okay. Now, we tried a couple last last year with, I will call it, only slightly moderate success. We got some interesting recipes from listeners. You brought way too many awful things to my house. Yeah, it was terrible. But we really need to, to put on our thinking caps. I'm going to put this question out there on Twitter, on Facebook. I won't do Google Plus because nobody uses it. But 
we're going to put it out there to the, the listening audience. What is your perfect drunk Gary Thorne drink? The, the requirements are very simple. One, it has to be alcoholic. Two, we would like it to be orange. And three, we would like it to taste not awful. All right. So I have a couple of plans myself. I figure now that we've moved to the luxurious SD studios, yes. it's my job to bring the awful alcohol. So mm. starting next week, I'm going to bring a little something and we can, we can do a taste test and I'm sure that'll transfer very well to the audio format. Especially since it'll be St. Patrick's day. Oh, I like this. Yeah. I like, see how you think ahead and, yeah. and I just think about the alcohol. Yeah. I've been thinking about this since you threw this idea back at me and, um, I haven't really had an inspiration for the drunk Gary Thorne, but I have come up with an inspiration for another drink. It's called the dirty crab. So turn in next week to figure out what the dirty crab is. Sounds like if people contact you at uh, birdseyeviewbal at gmail.com and ask for an inappropriate suggestion, you might get dirty crab in return. All I'm going to say is the Koreans are going to be very upset. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Before we go any further there, it's time for another installment that we had kind of put to bed in the off-season, but it's time to resurrect that. And, Scotty, let's go ahead and do it. It's the medical wing. What do we got going on this week? Well, um, Manny Machado has been uh, cleared for some more baseball activities. Um, he is seeing lateral movement. He's got over this fear of touching the base and actually stepping <laughs> on it. So it's good that we're bringing a little psychology along with uh, this rehab I love how in the know in his recovery process you are. You are just, you are right there with his doctors. You are right there with the trainers. Okay. This is the kind of, of baseless opinion that we bring. Well, it's just like podcast. Buck said, you know, the doctors are always willing to talk. I mean, they just can't <laughs> keep it to themselves. I think that's only, I can't keep it to myself either, but I think it's only Tampa Bay doctors. Oh, that's right. All right. What else you got for us? Um, well, we got a few pitchers that got hit by uh, comebackers on the mound. Um, Zach Burton and Miguel Gonzalez both got hit by comebackers, but. Doesn't seem too serious. They're back out there pitching and uh, no issues. Just some bruises, some contusions. But eh, if you don't have some bruises in baseball, what are you doing out there? Um, other information, Alexi can't see uh, injured his hamstring. He's still working that out. Oh, that is just a devastating injury to this franchise. Oh, how will we ever recover? It's a shame that Jamal Weeks and Jonathan Scope and uh, Ryan Flaherty are just doing so terribly at second base. They really are. They're, they're mourning the loss yeah. of Alexi Casilla in this early part of spring training. Yep. And then uh, we lost an Oriole to injury. We lost uh, Egbar Escalona, who's been shut down for three to four months. Ooh, that, that does not look good for him being able to make the club. No, no. But this was, wasn't this one of the individuals that you had picked for your roster? No, that was uh, Brad Brock. Oh, Brad Brock. Right. Or Brock. Okay. I'm, I'm assuming it's Brock. We're yeah. just going to move forward okay. with this. You know how some people still say shoop? I'm, I'm going to say Brock, no matter you what mean it is. like the Shroka boys? Uh, it's not just them. Okay, but the Shroka boys, listen, there's a pronunciation got out there. Even the Pittsburgh announcers today were able to get it right. It's Jonathan Scope. All right, let's not poke at the Section 336 boys. In fact, you know what? I'm going to stick up for them. Right now, right here, I'm going to say everybody listening to this program should next Saturday— Go no, Sunday. Down. Sunday. 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 It's, Sunday. Sunday. it's yeah, March 16th. They need to go Way down prepared. <laughs> to Mother's Peninsula Grill in Arnold, Maryland, where the Section 336 one-year live show will be taking place, and it will be great fun. Scotty, you are going to represent the Bird's Eye View contingency, and you, you're going to be there, correct? I'm going to be there. I will be speaking for the Bird's Eye View contingency and airing my griefs with Section 336, Baltimore's best in quotation mark, sports podcast. So there'll be uh, perhaps a little throwdown. 
Oh, come on. This is this is all love. It's supposed to be a celebration of Section 336, which, best or not, is a fantastic program, and might I add, a Baltimore Sports Report Network sister wife program. And everyone listening to our voices right now should get themselves in the car on Sunday, March 16th, and do it right. They may be sister wives, but they're the sister wives, so I want to f- from behind, okay? I don't want to look them in the face. Wow. <laughs> Okay, I think this is a good time for us to take that as a segue to the twat. Let's go to this week on the Twitters. (laughs) All right, what's taking place this week on the Twitters? Well, I think the thing that blew up Twitter so much this week was the Orioles media selfie. Uh, This was a selfie with Britt Rowley and uh, uh, Encina. Rock was in it. But uh, my favorite of all was Jim Palmer and Dan Duquette were also in this picture, which is... Jim Palmer with an elated look on his face. Can I can I make a, a confession? Yes. I did not watch the Oscars. So yeah. I missed I, I don't think anyone did. I missed the whole basis of the whole selfie thing. Well, the whole selfie thing was over in like twelve hours. It got like two point five million retweets and then died within twenty four hours, which I think is the shortest lived viral action that something has ever had. But the Orioles media love it. They're still taking selfies and good for them. Just like the Orioles, always three days behind. Now, you talked about Jim Palmer. There is a Jim Palmer Twitter story out there this week, correct? There is. Um, There was a discussion about this uh, on the uh, television, and it was discussion with uh, Jim Hunter and Jim Palmer were talking. Jim on Jim action in the booth. Yeah. And Jim Hunter was trying to get Palmer onto Twitter, and Palmer said, I know so little about Twitter that instead of tweeting, I twit. I will say that is a very lucid thought for Jim Palmer. Yeah. I mean, very aware, very self-identifying there. I, I got to give him credit on that. Yeah, that's not bad. I mean, he basically made the aspect of no one wants to listen to what I think about on Twitter. Um, so I'm actually going to point out a tweet from at Baltimore Davis, who is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report. Um, he saw, he basically said this tweet about uh, Jim Palmer's Twitter account. He says, an approximation of Jim Palmer's Twitter account. Every single time someone gives up a Grand Slam, quotation, you know I never gave up a Grand Slam. (laughs) Here's the problem. I don't think that Jim Palmer can be confined to 140 characters. That may be tough. You're right. Let let me tell you somebody. Maybe he could just use pictures. It's very possible. Of himself in underwear lifting weights. Now you're talking. Yeah, I beat you right to that, didn't I? Now you're talking. All right, let me tell you somebody who's good at the Twitter I have, a, I have a love-hate relationship with the Tampa Bay Rays organization. All right. On one hand, you know, they're a division rival, and I think that they're more a natural rival of the Orioles than, than any of the others in the division, uh, especially these days. But at the same time, you know, I like what they do. I think a lot of people in the organization go, you know, about their business the right way, including their PR department. Um, <laughs> there's a great uh, tweet that came out. There was a day in, when the Orioles Rays game got rained out in Sarasota. Okay, yeah. and uh, the the Tampa Bay Rays, which is at Rays Baseball, tweeted out today's game versus the Orioles in Sarasota has been canceled due to rain. Hashtag sad trombone. Okay, call me crazy. I have an appreciation for an yeah. official source coming from the team that has a sense of humor like that. Yeah, if you put your tongue firmly in your cheek, you're all right by me. Um, speaking about spring training. Going back to Section 336, Section 336 went down to spring training this past weekend. And if you haven't listened to their three episodes about their spring training experience, you have wasted your life. Yeah. Sunday's okay. Saturday's okay. Friday, epic. Go listen to Friday night's 
spring training because, oh, it was really their odyssey. It was amazing. And just hearing Matt Shiroka apologize on Saturday just made me equally disappointed with him. That is the kind of show that I want to hear on a week-in and week-out basis. You know, that's what you know. That's that's the kind of show they stoop to, and we aspire to. Yes. I think that's the main difference. That's a show that epitomizes the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Maybe not the Realm Network, but the Baltimore Sports Report Network. All right. So, what do you have going on about the, so the section three three six? You know, I, I think the best tweet that came over from section three three six was actually from that Friday night, and it was dinner at Sneaky Tiki with the boys. Hashtag Section three three six. Hashtag Orange Spring. I'm just going to say this, Jake. If you ever take me to dinner at a place called the Sneaky Tiki. Um, You're always telling me I have to buy you a drink first. Yeah, you better put a ring on it, okay? <laughs> I uh, wholeheartedly will will second this tweet. I will I will co-sign this. Uh, the, the nightlife in Sarasota, there's actually things to do there besides uh, watching baseball. So when you go down for spring, make sure you hit up. Uh, the main drag there in Sarasota because that, after dark there it, it that's fine you hit up the main drag but do not go into a place called the sneaky tiki and be getting shots of birthday cake and cinnamon toast crunch that's just wrong don't you tell me what I can't do okay listen the last time I told you what you can't do uh, you puked in my car so let's move on it was the outside it was the outside of the okay, car that's fair it's an expensive car wash. That's what I'm going to point out. <laughs> All right. Moving directly on uh, something that that you pointed out that I wanted to go back to was a bit of a battle royale, and I want you to set this up. What happened this week that got drunk Gary Thorne, one of my heroes, um, into a tiff with the country of Canada? So there has been rumors of a potential Orioles signing out there in Birdland. Um, Irvin Santana has been rumored to— Wait, didn't we already get Johan Santana? No, this is the actual Irvin Santana, not the changed name Irvin Santana. Oh, okay, okay. okay, okay. All right, right. So Irvin Santana has been rumored to potentially be signing with either Toronto or the Orioles. And that kind of has spaced out over these past few days to the Twins and the Braves and a bunch of other teams as well. You mean whoever Irvin Santana's right. representation can convince us is interested in his Correct. services? Okay. All right. But at, at one point on, uh, on Saturday, there was a deadline set. And it was he's going to choose between the Blue Jays and he's going to choose against the Orioles. And there was a massive Twitter war between Canadians and Americans about who Irvin Santana should sign with. And, you know, we really haven't seen that kind of fighting between these two countries since the movie Canadian Bacon. So can, can you, I mean, give me a, just a taste of what that looked like? Sure. Well, for everyone should be following at drunk Gary Thorne. If you're not, please go follow him after this podcast, but here's a sample of what he gave him. It says, at Irvin Santana underscore 54, Irvin, do you really want to go to Canada and be forced to have Buck Martini, Martinez talk about you? Come to Baltimore. That was really the cleanest thing he said about Canada, I believe. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, there's a few things that we could have said, but actually, you know what? It made me even blush. So uh, kudos at Drunk Gary Thorne for making me blush about Canada. Also on the Twitters this week, in the vein of things to make Scotty blush, uh, you pointed uh, me to a great tweet uh, that uh, was it Casey Willett? Yes. Yeah. Um, Casey Willett actually uh, had Jay Whitey Walston in the business uh, stop by and visit to uh, talk to him in the, about the Orioles. And uh, one of them was wearing a great shirt. Um, I recommend you go and follow at Casey Willett or at CDWill77 because the one member of the band is wearing a Billy Ripken jersey from the 1987 Fleer card. That says what on it, Jake? What's on the bat? It says f- face. It's f- 
face. Yeah. So anybody that can go and wear a shirt of Billy Ripken that has the bat face on it, major points for me. All right. Old man points here. Yes. I have no idea what that band is. Jay Rarity Walston? No you, idea. You would like them a lot. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm almost positive we've actually played them on the podcast before. Okay. I I will take your word for it. Okay. Last thing on the twat this week that I want to point out. Um, Rockabaco was the first that I had heard of it uh, at Mass and Rock. Uh, tweeted out, Adam Jones will be leaving camp on Tuesday for the birth of his first baby. So, hey, Adam Jones is getting married. He's having a baby. Is he getting married? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he, he got I, engaged. I thought he had early. a partner. Oh, you're right. He did get engaged. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that. So he's, uh, our little boy's growing up. He's probably, what, like only a few years younger than us, right? Stop it. Okay. Anyway, congrats to him. Congrats uh, to Adam Jones, who are uh, turning into to be a father of uh, on Wednesday. So uh, that's great. Great news. Absolutely. All right. With that, you know, it's getting a little dark. I say we. No, it's not. It's daylight savings time. I say we throw on the shades. Why? It's still the daylight savings time. Oh, the sun's still up. Thanks for coming with me on that yeah. one, jerk. Let's go talk to the O's. Actually, it's, outside. Guy. It's, it's pretty dark outside. So, uh, yeah, let's go talk to our sunglass guy. And we are joined by John, the O's sunglasses guy. John, thank you so much for joining us for a little bit on Bird's Eye View. No, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. We uh, we met some time ago. I guess it was last season, and I uh, got to know you a little bit. And nobody better to chat a little ball with and to uh, hang out with at the yard. So we we appreciate your time. Let me uh, no problem. Let me start this way. Can I just get your assessment of the off season uh, at this point? How are we doing? Oh, we're doing, oh, we're doing lousy, man. I mean, oh, wait, was this, are we still three weeks? Are we still in three weeks ago? Yeah, let's do now. Let's, let's do, do now. now. <laughs> oh, now, now. Well, now I think we made a couple, I, I mean, man, what? I, I still, I'm debating on whether, you know, on whether Duquette just, he knew this all along or he got a little lucky, you know, but like, I mean, you know, Jimenez, you know, he had the best, you know, he's the best ERA in the AL, you know, his last 13 starts or whatever it was. And Nelson Cruz is play, you know, Nelson Cruz, he's, he's mad, you know, he didn't get the big contract he wanted. So now he's going to, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be motivated. He's going to be jacking balls off the over, over right field, left and right. I mean, and then we might get, you know, we might get Irvin Santana too. I mean, geez, you know, Vegas, I saw the other day, Vegas said that, you know, the Orioles are 40 to one to win the series. And I had to call my uncle Polly and put in something for that. I mean, man. Well, yeah, actually it's really interesting. If you look at the bravada odds, uh, it's something like the Orioles are 30 to one, but if you were to play the parlay and say, okay, they're going to win the division, they're going to win the American league and they're going to win the world series. The parlay would pay out like $47,000. So, you know, I'm not trying to be Jeremy Khan here, but it's a pretty good bet. A hundred dollars for a $47,000 payout. I'm flying to Vegas right now. <laughs> I'm just saying. Gee, that- I mean, come on. I mean, come on. I mean, it's, you put them, you put Cruz with, you put Cruz with Jones and, and Davis and, and, and Davis doesn't even have to hit over 50 home runs this year. I mean, you know, yeah. if Jones stops swinging at that three, two curve ball, if, if somebody got in his ear, I mean, that, I, I don't know. Like, honestly, I mean, the Yankees aren't that great. 
I mean, I mean, you know, if you look at what they lost versus what they gained. Hey, they got Brian you know? Roberts, okay? What's that? They got Brian Roberts. Oh, well, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, okay. And, yeah, they, and, did get, they, they get Brian Roberts. So, and, you know. and they spent the gross national product of the country of Norway to get the rest of what they got. So uh, they might be okay. Jesus, that would have came out, too? Yeah, half a billion dollars. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's math I can't even do. Sorry well, yeah. well, some cold well, water. Power to them, I guess. <laughs> Let me ask you this: Do you do you even want Urban Santana? I mean, do you think he's got a place in this team, and do you think it it uh, improves the club? Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I guess you know, I mean, it, at the end of the day, I mean, it's either him or you know, Bud Norris is your, or you know, or Miguel Gonzalez, you know, whichever one you believe in more. I mean. I don't know. I mean, at the, I mean, if you go, if you just assume that they're going to make it to the playoffs right now with what they got, right, then you would probably only need, I mean, you, you know, you would still have, you wouldn't even really need your fifth starter. You would have Tillman and Jimenez and Chen and, um, you know, and then either Gonzalez or, you know, assuming they would need the fourth starter. But I don't know. I, just, I don't think, I mean, if we can get it for a one-year deal, which is what I heard, you know, I think last I heard it was like 13 with incentives, and then somebody was thinking about the Twins were going to offer him three years, but he wanted four. I mean, if we offer him one year, I would do it in a heartbeat, and then, you know, and then worry about it, and then go as far as we can go, try to re-sign Hardy, Davis, Weeders, but like, I mean, no, if it's for like a three, four-year deal, no, we don't need him. Yeah, the interesting thing is if you send him to a one-year deal, you're probably offering him a qualifying offer next year as well, um, so that's going to be somewhere in the ballpark about $15 million for that qualifying offer, you have the possibility of turning that third round draft pick into a post first round draft pick through the compensatory draft pick. And, you know, I think that'd be pretty valuable for the Orioles going forward. You also look at pitching depth, which we've talked about numerous times on this podcast and, you know, getting that pitching depth either as a fifth starter or even moving Norris into a sixth starter or even into closer raises all kind of interesting possibilities. And also having the ability to pay the trade Norris and maybe even Britain for a quality player. I know I've heard a few rumblings about people saying we could trade Norris and Britain for like a uh, Billy Butler to Kansas City, which is interesting. I don't think that would actually fly with Kansas City, but it does raise a lot of interesting potential both prior to the season starting, but also at the trade deadline if the Orioles don't do so well. No, that's true. I mean, but also at that point, uh, I mean, yeah, definitely to wait till the you know wait till midseason because you know you don't know. I mean, because yeah, because a lot because I think I saw that somewhere too, and then I was just. I thought about that and I was just like, well, you know, I mean, we don't know, you know, Jimenez could blow his arm out tomorrow, you know? So, I mean, I don't want to trade away. I don't you want to trade stop away Norris. That right now. You yeah. never say that again. Yeah, don't ever say that he's going to blow his arm. Okay. <laughs> no, what? I'm sorry. Yeah. What? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you guys are breaking out. What What'd you say? No, no, it's not. No, that's not going to happen. I'm just, but you know, you know, pitchers are, you know, pitchers are valuable. So, you know, you want to have as many as possible. And, and honestly, if we had Santana, you know, and then we would have, you know, we would have Norris and Gonzalez fighting for a fifth spot. I mean, that's, I, I mean, that's that's a, that's an embarrassment of riches that I would love to have. All right. So, from the people that are actually currently signed right now, off from the off season, who are you most interested in seeing in person? Oof, man, uh, Ryan Flaherty, of course. That we signed, <laughs> not to you know arbitration, uh, but like a new signing. Yeah, yeah. You've already seen Ryan Flaherty. You've already seen Mister F. So you don't need to see him again. Oh my, no. That's that's def, def, definitely definitely Jimenez. I, I mean, I, I think I said on Twitter, and I I got a lot of flack for it, but I said that uh, it was quite possible that I might be excited for 
you know, the second game of the season, actually even more than opening day, just to see him in that first start. Yeah, John, if we're yeah. going to come back to people that actually are have been on the team before, I think the person that I'm most excited to see this year is Nick Markakis. Nick Markakis has looked like he's been on a war pass so far in spring training. And we've heard great things from Rockabaco and Brittany Droley about how much muscle he's gained. And he's been hitting the cover off the ball and really being the Markakis of old of hitting doubles into the gap. Not so much home runs, but if you could be a productive doubles hitter, he's going to tear up this lineup in the first or second spot. Yeah, I mean, he's. It's funny, you know. It's almost like he. It's almost like he read all the comments, you know, that you know everyone just assumed that. Oh well, you know, after after next year, you know, we're not going to be paying Marquez that. You know, we're not going to be paying Marquez that ridiculous fifteen, sixteen million, whatever we were paying him. You know, it's almost like he heard that and said, "Well, no, I'm going to make you think about it at least a little bit." Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, I don't know if he's you know listening or anything like that, but I, you know, this is his first off season in a while that he was actually healthy. So again, right, right. coming into this offseason being healthy, I think he basically said, you know what, I'm healthy. I'm going to work this entire offseason. I want to get back out there. And, you know, our team is so close. If I can just push him over the edge just a little bit more, you know, I could be the catalyst that drives this team into the playoffs. I'm sure it has nothing to do with contract status whatsoever. <coughs> of course not. Of course. Oh, I want whatever that. I'll, maybe he ate that beer to his. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I want whatever's in there. Jake, Greeks don't care about money, okay? I'm sure that's the case, yeah. especially with this team. Yeah. All right, John, let me let me ask you this. Um, you know, we know that, that you've been known to travel to a game here and there to follow the O's. Um, is there anywhere that you're going this season that you haven't been to before? Uh, Pittsburgh, definitely. Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to negotiate the the fiance to come with me to Minnesota. Uh, that's actually a really that nice. State. That's a really nice park. Target really Field nice is area. a beautiful, beautiful field. So. Is it really? Oh, oh yeah. now, now she's got to go. And now she has to. I'll force her to go. I will say the guys on Bird's Eye View said it was awesome. You're going. The uh, the part of town that's nestled in is is really cool too. There's a lot of really great restaurants and and things to do around there. I took a business trip out there, and the the twins were out of town. But it basically just kind of stalked the area and took a couple of pictures and some Twins fans who, of course, were some of the nicest people I'd ever randomly met, uh, just told me all about the stadium and things to do downtown when you're at a Twins game. So I I, guess. Quick segue here. I was actually listening to the Twins broadcast of the Orioles this week, and they were the nicest announcers I've ever heard talk about the Orioles in my life. They're like, oh, this team is great. You know, this is a great team to watch. And, you know, they've got a bunch of long and hell. I was like, wait a second. I'm used to, like, listening to guests or Nesson and being like, Oh, this team is crap, and they're not very good, and they're bottom feeders. And I'm like, Minnesota people are just so nice. So yeah, put that put that on your list. Target Field definitely. Dairy Queens, Target Galore, and Target Field is a beautiful stadium. Go to Minnesota. Oh, there we go. I'm, I'm marking it down. And then I've been to Wrigley before, but I've never seen the Orioles play in Wrigley. So you know, I think that I think that that you know makes a little bit of a difference. So I'll definitely, definitely, definitely have to go to that. Maybe do that. And U.S. you know, because they're you know there for that whole week. Yeah, the so, whole week. Yeah, yeah. Maybe do like a U.S. cellular slash Wrigley time down there. I think that's a great field trip for any Orioles fan to get out to uh, Chicago that week. And Chicago is a great town as well. And just kind of go to U.S. cellular and then go to Wrigley for the weekend and then come on back home. And uh, I think that's the week that kids are starting to return to school. So it's the perfect time to get out of the house before the kids have to go back to school. Yeah, you guys got me on Minnesota now. I can't stop thinking about it. Hey, if my fiance doesn't want to go, does anybody want to go to Minnesota with me? Because I really want to go now. Scott is a is a poor stand-in for your fiance, but uh, as long as you let him big spoon, he's happy to fill in. Yeah, I got nice lips. So what can I say? Anyway, <laughs> before we go too far down that, uh, we wanted to ask you a little about bit my of, lips. 
a little bit about bullpen construction. Okay. Uh, it looks like it's going to have a slightly different look uh, this year. Are you concerned at all with putting Tommy Hunter into the closer position? Uh, Tommy goes boom, huh? Uh, I mean, you know, it It couldn't hurt, right? I mean... Until he starts pitching the long ball. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, you know... I, it, it's it's worth it's worth a shot to I wouldn't necessarily to just flat out commit to Tommy Hunter like to go into the season and say Tommy Hunter's our closer, you know like maybe like the first save out you know just closer by committee. I mean that worked out for the Red Sox until they settled with Koji. So I mean, it I think that I think that to start with Tommy is a good idea. I mean you know Ryan Webb, you know is another is another option. Uh, I, I mean you know whoever I mean uh, whoever. Whoever it doesn't, whoever the big ninth inning moment, you know, doesn't get to. I mean, because clearly, you know, pitching in the ninth inning, there's just some mental aspect, some to haze it. that comes yeah. over people, and you know, you got, and some people can get over it, and some people can't. Well, it seems like there's a large contingency of fans that are screaming for the bullpen by committee, and it, it almost seems, you know, crazy. Buck Showalter talked about caring about the win rule, not about the save rule, and yet he went to Jim Johnson every time, and it's like, you know, it would be so much better to go ahead and pick up your matchup and see who's got the hot hand, and see who's well-rested, and see who's the best pitcher for that particular situation with the batters that are coming up to make sure that you get three outs and get out of the ball. You're right. Statistically, that makes perfect sense. But when's the last time you can think of a World Series team that did that? It's a good point. Yeah. All right. So let me ask you this question about Brian Roberts. He's now a Yankee. He comes to the plate at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Do you cheer him or do you boo him? Cheer him. Absolutely. Standing standing ovation for Brian Roberts. I mean, look... Look, I nobody nobody feels worse than well. I'm sure other people feel worse, but like I, I'm up there and I feel bad about what happened to him. I mean, he nobody except for maybe Nick Markakis tried as hard as he did. If I if I remember correctly, he was the first in this new in this new line of you know in, the, in this new era. But he was like the first one to kind of say, "Hey, I'm going to stay." You know, I could go elsewhere. I could go to the Cubs. I could go anywhere I want. But he he signed with us, did he not? Yeah. And, Am I remembering and, that incorrectly? Yeah, no, you're remembering that correctly. Yeah. And there are so many people with hindsight who say it was a bad contract because it was a middle infielder in his 30s. And a lot of people say, well, he never lived up to that contract. But if you remember that time when he signed that contract, there was a lot of pressure on ownership on the organization to bring back Brian Roberts because he was, as, as you have correctly identified, you know, the fabric of that team, the face of the franchise and all that stuff. And it was a legit contract to a real major league star. And you're right. He chose Baltimore over any of the other places that would have been happy to have him. And past that, if you look back at his stats too, coming up into, you know, his contract season, he had some great years there. He's easily a top 15 Oriole of all time, just in terms of performance. I think people fail to realize that, but if you look back and look at his stats, Regardless of how the Orioles performed during those seasons, Brian Roberts was a perennial all-star, you know, on this team. And, you know, we need to tip our cap to him and say thank you very much for, you know, enduring it out during some of those rough times. I mean, if you go back through and look at those rosters, you're just like, oh, my God, what were they thinking? And Brian Roberts was the shining light for all of us, basically. And the other thing to keep in mind is that He he was the first one to jump in and say, yes, I want to be an Oriole for life. Yes. Yeah, and the other thing to keep in mind is that his time as, as not an Oriole is going to be so much shorter than his time as an Oriole, and there's going to be a day where he comes back and he gets put into the Orioles Hall of Fame, and I have a feeling that his post-playing career will have some sort of tie into Baltimore. I think fans need to kind of steel themselves to 
grin and bear this period. And I, I, I hope that there are enough voices like you at that first at bat to, to cheer him. Yeah, I think there was plenty well, of that. Yeah, I, think I there, will be there. I will be there his first at bat, and I will definitely stand and I will cheer for him. And hopefully they join me. I really hope they do because, like I said, nobody except for, like I said, maybe even the Grand Rokakis, but nobody worked harder than him. And Baltimore's heart always collectively broke when he, every time he got injured. And, you know, you, I mean, our, our hearts broke, you know, think about what he felt, you know, because, like, he, he knows too. I mean, he, he wanted to be the guy to, you know, help us win. And, he probably just felt like he got in the way a lot or his injury his his body got in the way. And I still really, I feel really bad for him. I, I wish him nothing but, a, uh, nothing but success and, until he plays us. So. All right. Final question for you. Is anything changing with the outfit this year? You know, I really want to switch. I, I really want to switch up the shades. You know, I've had the, I've had the same shades for like two years now, you know, so I want to get some. I, I want to get some orange ones. I'm actually looking at my shades right now, and like they're they're black with. Uh, they actually can look like they got a Jamaican flag on the side, which is cool and all. But I guess for but you know I guess it never occurred to me to maybe get some 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 freaking orange shades, <laughs> you know. So maybe I might get some orange ones, some orange shades this year. I think that'll be the biggest change. Okay. So uh, John, what's going on with you lately outside of uh, having no baseball this winter? What's what's going on in the personal life? Honestly, I'm I'm gearing up. I've been prepping for two things. The first thing is getting I uh, got engaged last year. We're actually getting married at Camden Yards, oh, November fifteenth. Thank you, thank you. I'm just I'm really excited about it. I'm actually even more excited because I know somebody else who did it, and they said that you get, you know, in between the the ceremony and the reception, you get photos done in the dugout. That's right. nice. Well, there you go. And That's November fifteenth is gonna be a great time because what you'll be able to do is you'll get to have wedding pictures done right in front of the World Series trophy. Oh, here's hoping. Oh, <laughs> well, I get drunk that day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, but that, that, that's sort of the biggest, but the other thing is just, you know, I mean, obviously I got a, you know, I know low moment. I am a real estate agent. I think I've been trying to spread that word out a little bit. Um, you know, got to pay for those seats somehow. Um, well, tell us about and, it. It's, uh, it's and a... actually, actually one of the biggest things that I'm doing is, uh, you know, just, really just trying to help people. I mean, cause there's a lot of stuff like loan programs and, and just a lot of great stuff that to help people get homes that they don't really know about. Cause I mean, the thing is, you know, I mean, the mortgage rates are as low as they are. And you know, if you do have, if you know, if you don't have a lot of money, but you know, you always want to own a home and you do can kind of get, take advantage of some of these programs that the state of Maryland has, you know, then like your monthly payment can actually be a lot less. And then, you know, you're, house grows equity like it's worth more you know the longer you have it you know certain areas so and one of the biggest things that i'm doing is on may 10th i'm holding a uh i'm holding a home buyer seminar at the uh owings mills library and uh the biggest thing i'm trying to get uh, so it's may 10th from 12 to 2 and uh the biggest thing i'm doing to get people to come out is i'm actually giving away uh two tickets in my seats uh for a game to be determined but it will be this year um, and later on on my Twitter, I'll, you know, I'll figure out which game it'll be, but definitely doing that. So anybody that comes out, you got a chance to, uh, you know, learn a lot, but also a chance to, uh, chance to win, uh, two tickets in my seat. Well, that's fantastic. And l- let me tell you, as, as somebody who's, who's bought some real estate, um, having the right person to guide you throughout that process is just pivotal. Yeah. Uh, so someone that you can trust and feel like you're not being, you know, micromanaged or pushed along in the process. 
And John, I know you personally, you know, you're going to go out there and basically, you know, represent well for your, your clients and basically look to see, because again, it's all about building that relationship. You've built that relationship. They're going to make a recommendation and basically send you more clients in the future. So, you know, you're a great guy and, you know, I've heard, you know, great things about your business to this point. Well, thank you guys. I really appreciate that. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's sort of been, that's sort of, that's sort of the biggest thing. I mean, I feel like, I mean, when I bought my first house, I mean, I didn't, Oh, well, I was a, I was an agent, but like still, but like even then, like I just I didn't really know much at the time, and so I just wish that you know, yeah, I did have somebody guiding me, and that's really the biggest thing is just because there's a lot of stuff, and you you know you want to know as much as possible, but you also maybe depending on the person don't want to feel like you're talked down to, and I just feel like you know, I mean, we can just we can sit at the game, you know, we can go up to we can go to booths and have a beer or whatever, and you know, we'll I'll talk real estate with you all day. I know a lot. Well, do this for me. Tell us where we can find you on the web for your business, and then tell us where we can find you for your uh, Orioles thoughts. Oh, yeah, sure. It's, uh, it's uh, sunglassguyrealestate.com is the uh, website. You can go on there, and, yeah, I actually uh, have it set up that you can look at any house. It, you know, you can look at price ranges, different areas, all in the state of Maryland. Um, so that's really awesome. And then uh, oh, Sunglass Guy on Twitter. Also, uh, Sunglass Guy Real Estate on Facebook, too. But uh, any Oriole thoughts, it's definitely those Sunglass Guy on Twitter. Awesome. Well, John, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, as always, it's it's great chatting Orioles with you, and we will definitely see you down at Canyon Yards this upcoming season, especially on March 31st. All right, All right cool. See you guys down there. All, All right. right. Thank you, John. All right. See you guys. Jake, there's a war raging in uh, Major League Baseball right now between baseball purists like yourself who defer their use their eyes and their guts, and then the moneyball generation like myself who idolize Bill James and other sabermetricians to use statistical analysis to predict the future. And the Orioles have been plopped directly in the center of this controversy for the past few years due to their, well, unexpected 2012 season. So I'd like to just start right there in the 2012 season, if you don't mind. Um, I can't stop you, so go ahead. Yeah, okay, so the Orioles were predicted in the 2012 season to be a 72-90 and 90 uh, record from Pakoda, which is from baseball prospectus. Um, how they, are, they almost got that entirely backward, but okay, yeah. go ahead. So they defied those projections and they finished up at 93 and 69 for that season. But the biggest issue that was brought up was their run differential. And we talked about this ad nauseum throughout 2012 saying, Oh, your run differential is always in the negative. And the Orioles finally got above positive at the end of that season and they had finished the season with a run differential of runs scored at 7-12 and runs allowed at 7-5. So they finished at plus 7, which should have yielded them a record of 82-80 and 80 by the Pythagorean record, which, again, I'm pulling up old, old history from podcasts. Yes, Pythagoras is pretty far back there, but yeah, go ahead. Okay. So this led to Bobby Valentine making the quote back in the 2012 season that the Orioles were lucky, which I point out that OBP Apparel who we sponsor and was a coordinator sponsor and works with us has a great shirt out there that says it's not luck on the shirt. So I'd highly recommend going to OBP apparel and buying that shirt. 
Um, but Brian Cashman also was recently uh, reignited this by saying that that season was a fluke and last year was a market correction. Which, you know, looking at the numbers, that actually might be the case. The Orioles in 2013 matched their Pythagorean prediction with an 85 and 77 record. Um, but I'm going to come back to the whole Pakoda predictions. And then the Orioles were still only predicted to be a 77 and 85 team. Well, let me, let me just say that first of all, Pakoda is one of the more conservative predictors of record. Is it not? Um, define conservative. They tend to be on the low low end as far as wins are concerned. Well, when you're looking at war, the the aspect when you're looking at war and doing projections Stop is, it. Pakoda does war. Yeah. They, they build it. Okay. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah. So I, I think that Pakoda is, is one of the, the more conservative. I, I think that the truth lies between the baseball perspective people and the, the Jim Hunters of the world. You know, so you're saying you're Jim Hunter? No. Okay. <laughs> no. I would like to think that I'm somewhere in the middle, but I, I am wary of the, the direction that, that statistical analysis has gone. I, I think that Brian Cashman is correct when he says that the, the 2012 Orioles overperformed and that his 2013 Yankees overperformed, which is what that article, by the way, was about. That, that is true. The, but I will say that I don't think they overperformed as much as, you know, 21 wins or whatever that was. Right. The, the truth really is, you know, somewhere in the gray. Correct. Yeah. It's not as much as we like to think. It's like you said, somewhere in the gray. Um, but I think we can both agree that 2012 was an outlier and 2013 fit that model. But like you pointed out, the comments were more in lines with making comments about the 2013 Yankees and how – they were almost a statistical outlier to a certain degree as well and trying to make that team better so it doesn't have to be the statistical outlier in the next year. Sure. And and if you're going to be, you know, coarse and say I, I use my eyes and my guts. What I, do you do? I mean. I think that it was pretty apparent to a lot of people that the 2013 Orioles team was better than the 2012 team in many ways and didn't do as well in the, in the win-loss column. But I think the question now is, you know, looking at, 2014 a is the team better than it was in 2013 Mm -hmm. and then b what does that mean when you put it up against the rest of the league now i'm going to surprise you here okay i read a fan graphs article about this very question what yeah i know i i clicked on a link that took me to fan graphs and i poked around a little bit and i found this article and and basically and you read it Let's read. You you looked at the pictures. Reading is a very strong way of saying it. But basically, I'm going to I'm going to try to encapsulate my my meager understanding of the math here. Basically, what this article said to me is that there is very little and should be very little real difference unless something is horribly broken in the league in the opponent war for each team throughout baseball. Okay, so that's the war of your opponents. Right. There should be very little difference from from team to team. All right. However, looking at that and predicting that for 2014, the Orioles have the toughest schedule. Mm-hmm. So my question really is, you know, what gives? Now, how could uh, the Orioles have that difficult a schedule as opposed to, say, the Blue Jays? Mm-hmm. All right. They, they play the same teams in the AL. They play the same schedule in the AL East. The only difference that I can see in, in their schedule is the interleague schedule. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Orioles have to play, for instance, the Nationals. Right. And and the Blue Jays do not. Um, no, the Blue Jays get to play the Phillies. 
Right, which is, you know, completely different. And you look throughout the, the division and you get the, the Yankees who get the Mets and, and uh, all, all this other thing. That's really the, that's really the key and obvious difference. But that's not the case. But the, the difference between the Orioles who have the, the highest war and I think it's the Astros that have yeah. the lowest, the difference is only like 10%. Yeah. So we're not talking, you know, huge weight skewing things. But I, I, I'd like to think what you, what your understanding of that article is and, and how much you agree. I mean, are the Orioles, do they really have the, the chips stacked against them the worst? No, they basically just have the, they're going against teams in the AL East that all have better average wars compared to them. So, for example, the Toronto Blue Jays this year have a better predicted average war than the Baltimore Orioles. So right, for, like they did last year right. when, when they won the offseason? Exactly. Okay, thank so, God we so, used So war. the Orioles this year are predicted, even with Jimenez and Cruz signing, to only go 79-83 and 83 by their war. I'm going to let you digest that for a second. 79-83. So they're going to be a sub-500 team with Jimenez and Cruz signing on this team. You, you have any comments about that really I have quickly? Nothing, I have nothing good to say. Okay. Because, and I'm sure you're going to help me break down the math later, but any system that takes the Baltimore Orioles and says that they're not going to get to to 82 wins. It's just, it's just silly. Okay, well, they do forecast that the Blue Jays will get to 82 wins. Great. Okay. You're, you're filling me, you're brimming me with confidence right. for this system. And uh, the other thing is, um, in the AL East, there are three teams, the Rays, the Blue Jay, uh, the Blue uh, Red Sox, and the Yankees, that all have top eight in terms of war. So it's the division that has the most amount of teams with the highest amount in it as well. So that skews the numbers and basically bumps up the Orioles who are in first and the Blue Jays that were in third. And then the Astros are low men on the totem pole because they basically are elevating a bunch of other teams up, including, you know, the Angels, the Rangers, the Athletics, so forth. So those teams get an additional bump on top of the Athletics, on top of the Astros. So, the numbers aren't really skewed. It's just the aspect of the war is fairly low for the Orioles and it bumps everybody else up. Okay. Within their division. So we talk about the opponent's war. What, what about, what about the Orioles? What do you, what does war say about us moving forward? Okay. So the Orioles right now are ranked to be 17th in the league for positional players for batting. 17th, 17th. Now I know that this lineup is, is, historically struggled with the OBP. Okay, I know right. that being able to club home runs does not necessarily mean being able to score runs, nor does it mean consistently being able to win ball games. Okay, I'm not saying, oh, look at their power stats. But this lineup is littered with people with a track record. So tell me, yeah. how does how does the war prediction think that they are so many teams better than the Orioles lineup. Well, this comes back to another Fangraphs article that was posted earlier this offseason where it basically said the Orioles only had superstars or nobodies in their lineup. And those superstars were Chris Davis, Adam Jones, Matt Wieters, J.J. Hardy, and Manny Machado, all who are forecasted to be around three-plus war going into this season. Has there been any thought to the war of the DHs we had previously and the war that Nelson Cruz may or may not provide? Yes, actually, the DHs last year combined for a 0.1 um, war 
which means that Nelson Cruz represents one more win. Okay, so Nelson Cruz is only going to contribute to one more win yes. with consistent play over the whatever it was that we threw out in the DH role last year. Based on these predictions, yes. Based on these predictions. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You you can't argue with numbers, yeah, Scott. It's, it's, it's impossible. It's I science. Mean, it's, it's right it's, there. Yeah, it's statistics, so it's right there. Woof. Okay. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. Yeah. Can we can we make the same predictions with the pitching staff than we can with the uh with the lineup? Um yes and no. Um let's go with Jimenez. So we signed Jimenez. That should increase your war by like one point eight. Um Jimenez is predicted to be, you know, a three war pitcher, and that generally the fifth starter contributed for about one point two war last season. Okay. So so he's giving you one or two additional wins. I I just wanna I just I just want to yeah. make sure I'm following you. Yes. Okay. Cause I, I'm trying to give you a fair shake here. Um, Ubaldo Jimenez. Yes. Is projected. Yes. To be just a little bit better than whatever fifth starter we could have drubbed out of quadruple A. Uh, no, he's going to be three wins better than whatever quadruple A starter you bring up. Okay. Yeah. Just three wins. Okay. And uh, this is actually one I really liked, which was uh, looking at the projections and looking at 2013. Uh, Chris Tillman and Wee and Chen had the same war project uh, for 2013 and also for 2014. They had the same war. Yeah. So they are projected to be the same pitcher, basically, in 2014. Yeah, and, and they were the same pitcher in 2013. They were projected or they were? No, they were. Wait. Wait a second. How is that even possible? Hold up a second. Let's stop right there, okay? Chris Tillman pitched for 210 innings last year, was an all-star candidate, had 16 wins. Chen got hurt through the season. He only pitched 130 innings and, you know, had a 7-7 seven and seven win record. How the hell can they both be the same pitcher in terms of wins above replacement? Oh, I know this one. Okay. They can't. Oh, what? What, what do you mean they can't? They can't. There is no way. Now, I will tell you this. It is very possible that Chris Tillman regresses. Okay, yes. I think that is absolutely possible. Now, why is it possible that Chris Tillman regresses? Because he's really only had that one great season. Okay, but do you know why he has the possibility to regress? Statistically? Statistically. Please enlighten me. Okay. If you would actually read BaltimoreSportsReport.com, there was an interesting article on Chris Tillman and his left on base percentage last year. Were there numbers involved? There were numbers involved. Too long, didn't read. Okay. So Chris Tillman had an 80% left on base percentage, which is really high. Most pitchers are right around 70%. So the aspect is that left on base percentage is going to come down and that left on base percentage is going to come down because more runs are going to score. So you're telling me he basically had his 2012 season a year late in 2013 and he'll fall back to the norm this year? That is correct. That's basically what the predictions are making. Okay. And the same prediction then says that Chen is going to have a, a little bit better of a year and they're going to meet in the middle? Is that what we're, we're hearing here? No, no, no. They're going to have exactly the same season as they did last year, basically. But they're going to both get the same amount of war. Okay. But do you know why that's the case? I would love for you to tell me. Well, because you're going to need to know this stat for when we start fantasy boss up in the season, because you need to be aware of FIP. Okay. I know a little bit about FIP, but please, uh, please continue. Okay. So FIP is fielding independent pitching, and it's really uh, propagated a lot by fan graphs. 
Um, FIP is basically a way to look at ERA differently than what ERA has been looked at for the past 100 years. FIP is the equation of you take the amount of home runs the person pitched and uh, you times it by 13. You add the amount of walks and hit by pitches that he gave up and times it by three. And then you subtract the amount of strikeouts and times it by two. And then you divide it by the innings pitched and you add 3.20 to it. All right. As the non-math person here, I'm horrified by your use of the word times rather than multiply. However, I'm going to hold back on completely mocking uh, the system as being arbitrary and ridiculous only to say that this model wouldn't exist if it didn't prove to be somewhat valuable from time to time. Yes. So all of the, you know, take this and hold your left foot up in the middle of the wind on a Tuesday night when the moon is full and, and multiply by 13. I know it's not an arbitrary number. No. But it's statistically driven, so it does have some prudence to it. But wow, that's crazy. Yeah. All right, so so fielding independent pitching. This is basically to, to say if the pitcher was all by himself. In a vacuum. If, if this was Bugs Bunny uh, on, the, on the mound and nobody yes. else in the field. Correct. How would he fare? Yeah, if Bugs Bunny was on the field and nobody else was there and Bugs Bunny couldn't move off the mound like he does in the cartoon, how would he fare? So if the ball is put in play, you can't even give that consideration. It's just... This is we're we're limiting balls in play unless they are home runs. So this allows us basically to analyze two pitchers that have a different defense. You take an Oriole uh, pitcher that had a fantastic defense right. behind him. You take another pitcher that had a crappy defense behind him. There's going to be a, a differential in their in their traditional ERA because they're getting let down or saved yep. by their their backup guys. Uh, but FIP allows us to compare apples to apples. Correct. And again, it's also a good aspect from a generational aspect too, where you can compare pitchers from different generations and decades because defensive uh, schematics may have changed over this time period as well. So you could p- compare Jim Palmer to Chris Tillman, but we know who would win there, Jim Palmer, of course. But Okay. Um, let me ask you this, and, and, and we didn't talk about this in the pre-show, so I apologize. It's okay. But you look at the way the ballparks have changed in the last x years yes the fences have come in yes that is uh uh, that is something that is is handled completely outside of fielding correct yes so would somebody from the modern era be somewhat uh ill-treated in fip compared to somebody who had cavernous huge ballparks in a time gone by technically no because there's another stat called xfip which actually brings in the aspect don't you bring xfip into this in fip itself in fip itself it would be affected but in xfip which is probably a better stat to use, but I didn't want to confuse you too much. XFIP would be the more appropriate term in order to eliminate park factors. Well, I appreciate you trying yeah. to save my, my feeble mathematical yes. skills. But I'm going to go back to FIP really quickly for Chris Tillman. Chris Tillman had a 4.13 FIP, which is, uh, no offense, folks, not very good. Um, that would put him um, in the top 50 of MLB pitchers. So that's truly not an ace um Jimenez is actually right there too in that top 50 range but he's definitely not an ace as well as in the same regard but i'm going to come back to the aspect that we just brought up is these are stats based off of being in a vacuum and they were, and pitchers are not playing any vacuum during these games we have a great defense behind us and a lot of the times our defense is either making the play or the shift is put in place and you know you're basically allowing the team to respond equally so why shouldn't you have fielding depending pitching playing a role in this. And this has kind of been an argument with pitching war um, between sabermetricians of whether you do independent pitching or fielding dependent pitching. So I just wanted to take a look at fielding dependent pitching really quickly. If you go and look at fielding dependent pitching, Chris Tillman's difference between fielding dependent pitching and fielding independent pitching is the third largest difference 
than any pitcher in baseball. So you're saying that that the difference in how good Chris Tillman is, whether you take into account his fielding or not, that distance between those two is is just about the greatest for Chris Tillman with the exception of two other guys. Yeah, I think Kershaw might have been number one, which I thought was very surprising. Um, but yeah, there was a difference of, I think it was like 2.2. So it brought Chris Tillman up from being a two-war pitcher all the way up to a 4.2-war pitcher. So let me ask you, does that speak to the strength of the Orioles' defense, the fact that those two are so far apart? Um, I think it does to a certain aspect. If you look at some heavy uh, defensive teams, I think it's definitely playing a role. Um, but again, I think it's just the aspect of, I really don't like FIP. I don't like playing that aspect of everything's played in a vacuum. I know there's going to be people that argue with me and are yelling at their radio right now and saying, what are you talking about? But I just feel like if you're looking at pitching, you've got to give consideration to all that aspect. I think another interesting thing is, and this isn't in our notes or anything like that, but it was interesting to see the MLB um, metrics come out with the defensive aspect. And it'll be interesting to see how these defensive metrics start to play into some of the same attrition aspect of do we really need to create an isolation or should we be including these defensive metrics into fielding in order to get more appropriate stats? Well, you know me. I clearly love all the stats that we can get. Uh, bring bring me all of the stats. Okay, so I'm going to come back and look at this. And I'm, I'm looking at it. And Jimenez is currently ranked 39th um, in analysis, whether it be with FIP or FDP, which is fielding-dependent pitching, which we were talking about with Chris Tillman. But there's one name that popped out at me, and that was Urban Santana. Urban Santana actually ranked higher than all these players at 4.5 and ranked 17th on the list, which kind of surprised me. Oh, goody. Well, I mean, it just is interesting because, again, we look at Urban Santana we're like, eh, it wouldn't make that big of a deal. But he would even be a bigger success with if you consider fielding dependent pitching and you know how good the Orioles were, maybe he is a significant upgrade to this rotation after all. So he would be a statistical boost in our uh, projected uh, win-loss total at the end of the year. If you're giving consideration fielding-dependent pitching, which, again, based off Pakoda and a bunch of other projections, they don't use FDP. Okay, great. So I love that there's such a great divide that you can't even get a straight answer. Scott, I asked you a direct question, and you equivocated immediately. Well, this me, is why people still need their eyes and their guts. Well, let me point out this. We were talking about how the Orioles pitchers were 17th ranked in war projections. Last year, the Orioles were 16th in terms of RA per nine wins. RA9 per wins. So that's war in how it ranks in pitching. But what was interesting to me is when you broke out the three starters, they were all above two. And that was... Chen, Gonzalez, and Tillman, of course. But then you looked at the rest of the starters, four, the fourth and fifth starters, and combined, they were only 1.1. Sure. Well, I think there was a lot of garbage there. I mean, we even had Sweaty Freddy give us a couple starts, so you got to know yeah, that— he was negative 0.2, by the way. Oof. Yeah. So he, Oof. he accounted for two losses? Uh, he can, if you were to bring a quadruple A player up, he would have done 0.2 wins better than Sweaty Freddy. Yow. Yeah. That's a very flattering comparison. But I guess my aspect is if you include Jimenez, and let's hypothetically say you include Santana, I don't see any reason why in fielding dependent pitching that you couldn't easily get up into you know a top 10 rotation, which if that's the case, I don't see why your war projection wouldn't go up above the Blue Jays and be right there with the Yankees or the Rays. I'm not saying that they're going to be 
better than the Red Sox, better than the Rays, but they should be right there in the middle and definitely be better than the Blue Jays. Well, I got to tell you, to uh, to satisfy the nerds, I think we need to have nine Manny Machados and uh, you know five Clayton Kershaws in order to be able to rank up there with the uh, the, the great teams. Okay, well, I appreciate you taking this brief moment out to satisfy the stats nerds, but I got to tell you what, after reading through all this stuff, it just aggravates the hell out of me. I'm ready for some baseball. I'm tired of looking at these numbers. You don't want to play it on paper? I don't want to play it on paper. I want to get out there just like Buck says and just say, what did you project for us last year? Oh, how'd that work out for you? And get out there and prove people wrong. Wow. I just let you talk yourself into an entire circle. You know, maybe throughout the season, rather than arguing with you about the stat crap, yeah. if I just shut up, leave the room, and let you go, we'll, we'll eventually get to the same conclusion. That generally works pretty well at work for me, where people just lock me in my office, and then I come back and I was like... Yeah, you were right. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That, that, you know, I'm going to put a sticky note right here on the monitor. And the next time I'm tempted to argue with you. You're right. It should just say, let Scott talk more. I'm, I'm down with that. Okay. All right. Speaking of letting Scott talk more and what an ugly, ugly premise that is, it's time, Scott. That's right. It's that time again. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. As is our custom, well, we like to let Scott go last because, frankly, who better to run his mouth off? So I'm going to go ahead and go As first. As we learned from the last segment, it works perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go ahead with my good for this week. And, um, Scotty, my good for this week is who the hell is Steve Pierce? Ooh, okay. Let me ask you something, Scott. What is the most important thing in being able to prepare as a position player, as a hitter, in spring training? Mm, I don't know. What is it? I think it's at-bats. Okay. I think in order to shine in the spring, you have to be able to consistently get at-bats. And Steve Pierce leads the team in the in the short Grapefruit uh, League uh, schedule with uh, at-bats. And he's actually doing you know pretty well. He's got a homer. He's driven in some runs. He's got four RBIs. He's got a 346 OBP. And I think that that's the thing that Steve Pierce needs to do to prove that he can make this club. He needs to be able to play first base. He needs to be able to play the outfield. He needs to be able to get on base and have occasional pop in order to get that 25th man uh, spot on the roster. So my good this week doing exactly what he needs to do. Who the hell is Steve Pierce? All right. Go Steve Pierce. My good for the week is going to go to Peter Angelos. Uh, Peter Angelos, uh, chartered a 30-person flight to go up to Monica Barlow's funeral. I think we need to weigh the good and the bad with Mr. Angelos, and uh, I'm going to give him a good for this week for saying, you know what, I'm going to get the charter flight and get as many people up there as possible. So good for you, Peter Angelos. I like this aspect of you breaking out the pocketbook. Let's keep it up. Okay, I love it. Let me then wander into the bad territory. And for me, this week, much like the rest of spring training, the bad is going to be people that seem to care about wins and losses in the Grapefruit League. Look, it's nice that the Orioles can win a game, but let me ask you, does it matter when 
our scrubs come in to beat their scrubs and our scrubs come back from a three run deficit to overcome whoever we're playing. Does that really mean anything? No, but it feels darn good. Okay. Well, beating the right teams is always good, but wins and losses in spring training, it's, it's pointless. Um, that trophy for the great fruit league championship is huge. Did they actually have a trophy? No, but thanks for playing along. Okay. <laughs> you said it so convincingly. Yeah, no. and, and frankly, anyway, my bad for this week. People will give a damn about a Grapefruit League win and loss totals. Your, your move. All right. My bad for the week is going to go to deadlines. None of us like deadlines. We all hate them. But especially when the deadlines are so-and-so is going to sign by 5 o'clock between these two teams and then it not happening. <laughs> just annoying as all hell. And, you know, you're kind of just looking at Twitter and like, okay, did I miss something? Did I miss something? And then you realize this person doesn't know what he's talking about. There's no such thing as deadline. He's going to wait until he wants to make a decision. So I'm going to give my bad to deadlines this week. And Irvin Santana, you just take your time and figure out who you want to. Just don't go to Canada. All right. My ugly for this week is time change. Now, I love falling back, Scott, but I hate. Oh, yes. I hate springing forward. There is nothing more backward, more wrong, more intrusive than losing an hour of sleep without knowing it. You go to bed, you wake up that next morning feeling like garbage because someone stole an hour of your life. It's not right, Scott. Frankly, I feel that instead of falling back an hour and springing forward an hour, we need to fall back an hour And the next time, we need to fall back 23 hours. Your kids woke you up on Sunday morning, didn't they? Just a little bit. And there is nothing good about that. In fact, when I am awoken too early, it's ugly. Okay. My ugly for this week is going to go to a person. It's a person I've never even met, but it's a person that I've got a a beef with this week. His name is uh, Max Wildstein. He is an individual on Twitter. His uh, Twitter handle is at Max Wildstein MLB. And he uh, blogs for OutsidePitchMLB.com. Just to put in perspective, you probably have seen people retweet him. He's the individual that looks like a very young Ken Rosenthal with the bow tie and has been posting updates galore on Urban Santana. Let me just give you some perspective here about uh, Max Wildenstein. He's in high school, folks. He's a junior in high school in Atlanta, Georgia. You really think that he actually has a scoop? Tell you what. He plays baseball for the Weber School in Atlanta, Georgia. He plays on their varsity team as a catcher and a third baseman. And you know what, Max? You really shouldn't be focusing so much on, you know, what kind of reports or scouting things you're getting from Twitter. But you really should be focusing on your batting average. Let's go through your batting average for your junior year year. So, so far for your three games played, you'll be 167 average in 10 plate appearances with one hit. I mean, that's like Luis Mato's numbers right there. This that is, is so horrible. Brutal. That is absolutely horrible. Tell you what, you know, I'm going to take back what I just said. Take off the glove, take off the chest protector, put that bow tie on because the potential that you have of going to college and actually being a decent baseball player is pretty much over. You might as well just take Ken Rosenthal's, you know what, out and salivate all over it in order to just be, you know, the hospital chaser that you are. So, Max Wildstein, keep up the good work. You're a miserable failure, and you disgust me. (laughs) Um, Well, never. I just picked on a 17 year old, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) You never fail to disappoint. Uh, So, he's on notice, I I take it? He's on notice. Yeah, he's on notice. 
Good lord. Yeah, so anyone that actually like thinks that he actually is giving you uh correct information on a thing like that, he's just he's just a source of absolute nothing. So don't even bother to listen to what he's saying. That's just that's almost as bad as people coming to us and asking for a scoop on information regarding the Orioles. I did see that this week on Twitter. Yeah, bad move. It says right there. Yeah. Baseless opinion, lack of insight. Yeah. I guess if we wore bow ties more often, people would come to us and ask these questions. And do look good in a bow tie. Or if we hit one sixty seven for our average in, you know, junior year. You know I was never that that good. Well, I don't think this guy's that good either. Look at look at his you know, physique and look at his bow tie. So anyway, Jake, that's that's my ugly for the week. You wanna close this thing out? Yeah, let me let me blow the save real quick if I could be uh, if you'll indulge me. Uh, Manny Machado actually, as we've been recording tonight, has been making some comments, or at least the comments are being uh, tweeted and reported, um, that he feels that the salary he's gonna make this year, which is just under five hundred and twenty thousand dollars, is uh, five hundred and twenty thousand dollars mm-hmm. is unfair. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to disagree with this. Chris Tillman's going to be making pretty much the same amount of money as well because, again, he's pre-arbitration eligible. You know, Manny, I understand that's the course of business. That's the course of action. If you want to make a change to it, then you and the Orioles need to sit down and create a long-term contract, and let's make something happen. Well, he's being treated like any other pre-arbitration eligible uh, player, which is the club will continue to pay him pennies on the dollar of what he's worth until they have to yeah manny until they have to and that's the way that you can afford to sign guys like chris davis and matt weeders yeah manny you don't have a beef look at what the minor league players being paid and not in your case so with that just simmer down manny and work on that lateral movement okay and that's pretty much all i have well with that then baltimore and beyond i will bid you a fond adieu adieu good night baltimore You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.